Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. I'm Nathan Baer, and uh, with us as always is uh, Mr. Michael Kelly. Greetings. And uh, today we have uh, a new uh, special guest, a man who uh, does need an introduction, Mr. Kyle Bragg. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Kyle is uh, a Grindhouse uh, film uh, expert and aficionado. Uh, he also has uh, had some of his uh, makeup work seen uh, nationally uh, in a PSA regarding uh, domestic violence. Glad to have you on the program. Glad to be here. Kyle, I'll just say it's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, a man whose knowledge of trash cinema is, is let to yet to be equaled by anyone I've ever met. I've seen his collection, and it's 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 very impressive. So it, you you add a real knowledge of, of exploitation cinema to what we're trying to do here at the Pod War Hour. So thank you for joining us, Kyle. Well, hopefully it'll be useful here, because it's not useful anywhere else in my life. That's exactly, that's exactly yeah. what we said when we started this podcast. That's correct. That's, yeah. that's, that's what this is all about. You're right on there. Um, so... The, I mean, let's just cut to it, because there's just so much content to, to really uh, delve into here. Well, uh, it's 1973. It is 1973. Uh, in America, we, uh, there we are experiencing our new wave of films. A bunch of young directors are getting lots of money to create masterpieces uh, of cinema that will be remembered forever. The Exorcist, The Sting... Uh, unfortunately, in Japan, uh, if I can't beat a dead horse long enough, um, they, they were going through some trouble uh, selling movies. Uh, TV and baseball are just a lot more convenient and fun. Uh, so uh, producers are having a harder time trying to uh, get people into theaters. Uh, and thus, uh, producers like Tomiyuki Tanaka uh, decide to cut lots of corners. And uh, this is one of those corners. It, it, it's like building a house and not building three of the four walls. <laughs> that, 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 that's basically Mr. Tanaka's uh, plan for profit. And using balsa wood <laughs> as the load-bearing studs, we are, of course, referring to uh, 1973's Godzilla versus Megalon. Look... If you want the epitome or the, the image in the mind's eye of people who are like, oh, I don't like Godzilla movies. They're just garbage. They're just, you know, kung fu wrestling matches with guys in rubber suits fighting robots that change their own size and big beetles that shoot grenades out of their mouth. And Guy Gan shows up for no reason at all. And they blow up everything, show a bunch of stock footage, and blah, blah, blah. That is this movie. <laughs> They're talking about Godzilla versus Megalon. Like, this is, that's it. AKA Godzilla versus the stock footage because yeah. this film is how many how much percent Look, of stock footage? Here, okay, here's the genius of this film, and I wish they could have taken it one step further and and done it for another film. Okay, Godzilla versus Gigan, 1972, the film before this, they use stock footage from every color Toho science fiction film. <laughs> they just do it. Okay, and so now one year later, Godzilla versus Megalon, they took. Entire scenes from Godzilla vs. Gigan of the edited stock footage from those other movies <laughs> and put them into this movie as if they're new scenes from the year before, as if no one would notice. Like, <clears throat> they're building a library. This is like the movie within the movie within the movie. You know, it's like 
they're at a stock footage event horizon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, where they're crossing that point where it's like, if they don't, okay, it's a similar problem to Doritos Locos Tacos. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got Doritos and you've got Taco Bell. Okay. Then you've got Doritos. Locos Tacos, which comes out, I was like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's it's, it's Taco Dorito. Bell flavored like Doritos or whatever. Then they come out with Doritos Locos Tacos Doritos, which is Doritos flavored like Doritos Locos Tacos. And you're like, well, all right, let's let's just take a step back here and let's just not, let's not get too carried away with ourselves. And that's this movie where it's just, you're just on that line where it's like, oh, you, this is not, you can't say that this is a new movie, are you? Because it's just like, I don't know, ninety percent stock footage. It's basically that that scene from uh, from Tim Burton's Ed Wood, where he's he's sitting watching uh, stock footage being played for him by his projectionist friend, and he's just saying, you know, one day I'm going to make a movie with that stock footage, that stock footage, and that stock footage, and and I'll work a story around it. And that's exactly what happens here. Here's what you have to understand: uh, six months pre-production, right. Three weeks production, and then like a month maybe post production, if that, if that. And Tana- Godzilla wasn't even supposed to be in the movie no. originally. Tanaka and Sekizawa, who did like rewrite or polish number forty-two on the script. <laughs> the original script was written by like an eight-year-old school student or whatever. <laughs> Probably the from kid a, from a fucking film. contest, yeah. <laughs> They got together and they like they they went to like the stock footage library vault at Toho and they're like, okay, what do we have? And like, what can we build sequences around? And like, let's hit those spots or whatever. So that was the launching point. It wasn't the other way around. They were trying to go at this thing where it's like, let's look at full sequences we already have so we can save time shooting. Mm-hmm. And it's just like amazing. Yeah. I like. I mean, it's it, just amazing. It, 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 it's <laughs> like. Uh, a Turkish, it's like Turkish cinema at the same time. Just like this is feeling... the Turkish Star Wars. Yeah, Godzilla this is, it really you know, is. It's just, it's it's so shameless, and yet it's it, one of my favorites. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I watched this like a good thirty times, <laughs> and I know a good twenty-eight of those were just by myself. Even though <laughs> I, I watch it, and I keep saying this is terrible. It's hard, but it's like eating matzah at a Passover seder. You eat it, you say this is flavorless. You know, there, there's no health benefit from this. Is barely be considered food. Can I have seconds? Right. That, that's how this works. Your, your your brain is telling you I am watching trash right now. <laughs> but like, I, there's some other part of you that's just like, I wish this could go on forever because it's like it's yeah. Like this is probably the I've probably seen like three Godzilla movies in my life, and I don't even know if I've seen all of them all the way through. But I've seen this one twice, and it's just like. I love it so much. <laughs> it's it, each time it just gets exponentially so much closer to my heart. Um, it's just like a blood clot. <laughs> I guess we should run some stats. Um, it is directed by June Fukuda. Yep. Uh, who would be back for next year's Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla? By all rights, a vastly superior film, and yet maybe not as good. We don't know yet. Um. Music by Richiro Manabe, and it's a very eclectic, I'd say borderline haunting uh, score because it's completely free. First of all, his only other Godzilla movie was Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. Yes. So in a weird way, <clears throat> you've got that, and then you've got the the uh, the child actor. In this film, his name is Roxon, 
Um, but it's the same actor from Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. It's the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same kid actor from from Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. So that kid with those, sucks so bad. Yeah. Well, him. the voice, the American voiceover is so bad for just specifically the kid and yeah. the other characters. It's it's very bad, but for the kid, it's comedic. Yeah. Um. Just it, painful. Right. Too. You can see almost sort of the linking tissue between the spirit of those two movies, kind of, if you squint your eyes mm-hmm. and kind of turn your head a little bit. There's some of the, and it's very brief, a few moments of the score of this film that sound a little bit like Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, but, you know, it's there and it's gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, obviously the main thing is like the Godzilla theme, which is these sort of loud comedic uh, trombones and trumpets and things, and it's completely yeah. inappropriate for the character, but like... You know, yeah. whatever. Um, be like, it, it, it would be great if it was just like to use once, like if he was rising out of the sea, and you know, just like blew up a, a ship, something right. like that. That that's you know, that's like an introduction music. That's it. That would be like if the opening to Star Wars was played throughout all of Star Wars. It just it would completely lose its uh, its 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 meaning. Yeah. Um. It's. It's such an interesting score because you've got the orchestral elements to it, but you also have the Jews harp. Um, what the did elect- you call me? <laughs> no, I mean, I guess that's the name of the instrument. Yes, yes. That's yes. the only name I could find for it was the Jews harp. Yes, yes. You have an electric guitar. You have enough jazz flute to make Ron Burgundy blush. <laughs> okay. And it's this just sort of completely unique mixture. And it's... You know, it's 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 just for this film, mm-hmm. you know, and so many of the things like Megalon, the monster. He's just for this movie. This was this was it. This is his only appearance. Jet Jaguar. That's it. One or, movie. Or as he's known in Japanese, Jet the Jaguar. <laughs> that's that's actually how they pronounce it. Jet the Jaguar. Thank you, Nathan. So, um, <laughs> linguistic fans out there. Um. Jet Jaguar was, of course, supposed to be the original star of this film. Yes. Uh, he, he's basically the Godzilla franchise's Poochie. Uh, <laughs> you know, the way they play him up is if he is going to be there forever. Uh, right. You know. It's like, I'm, this is his A Star is Born. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> guess what, everybody? There's a new kid on the block. His name's Jet Jaguar. Get used to it. And he mysteriously disappears. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's I, the Taylor Kitsch yeah. of uh, Godzilla monsters. He's just like... One no. and done. <laughs> and I'm sure Tanaka was disappointed because the way the shots are made, I'm sure he pretty I'm pretty sure he was whispering behind uh Fukuda's back saying, I want you to get lots of sexy shots of Jet Jaguar. We need to sell lots of toys, lots of merchandise, so that way we can prompt the kids for the upcoming Jet Jaguar sequels. <laughs> well it's just like you know, the 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 schizophrenic nature of this series it's 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 out of control yeah and 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 the way that it's being filmed is out of control and inconsistent dramatically so like the the end fight between megalon and godzilla and gigan and jet jaguar is like 35 minutes long and it's like the way they film it is half of it and not including the the shameless stock footage from godzilla versus gigan um Half of it is done in the typical Toho fashion of, of overcranking it mm-hmm. to make it look like they're giant beings fighting and falling down in slow motion and, and kind of giving it that, that speed and that mass or whatever. 
the other half of it is filmed like a fucking episode of Ultraman, where it's just like, these are just dudes in suits beating the shit out of each other as fast as they can, filmed at normal speed, filmed at like, you know, eye line level or whatever, mm-hmm. and or like with the use of the uh, fisheye lens. <laughs> so it's like, it's really half and, it's half and half. Speaking of which, this brings up a point, since, uh, you know, if you could watch... Uh, it, why, why would people see this instead of an Ultraman right. television show which you could watch for free? Which may explain why Toho created a TV show in the same year, 1973, known as Zone Fighter. Uh, Mike, could you uh, give us the uh, DL on Zone Fighter? Zone Fighter was one of... And it's almost... It's borderline kind of sad and desperate because clearly the Godzilla character and... and then franchise created uh, kaiju and and giant beings fighting in cities and so forth. And but by this time, 1973, you know, Ultraman had started in 1965, started by Subaraya, and it by 73 it completely dominated you know the television landscape. This would be like the equivalent of like the police procedural now, you know, like it's just like it's so you're just looking around. And it's just like it's omnipresent. And so this was Toho's bid to be like, well, we can do this too. Shit, we invented Godzilla. And so they put one in there and it's known as Zone Fighter. Unfortunately, my personal knowledge of it, slightly limited. I can tell you most of it's based off of Godzilla and his opponent's appearances. Godzilla appeared in exactly four episodes of Zone Fighter. Now, Zone Fighter, I guess it should be said, was a a superhero who started up. He's a human. He activates his belt buckle or whatever and turns into a giant, you know, Ultraman-looking robot or superhero or whatever. It's basically like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then how in the mid-90s, or sorry, early 90s, how they came out with uh, Street Sharks. Yeah. Who, who, who were totally not a ripoff. And yet, of... and yet, Nate, I would say totally jawsome. Yes. But, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's clearly a ripoff of, of the Ninja Turtles, just like, you know, tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills, clearly a shameless ripoff of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Zone Fighter was a was a you know toho's bid uh they're throwing their hat in the the ultraman ring as it were godzilla was in now now okay so zone fighter would become big and fight monsters um, pretty straightforward uh, you know but godzilla would sometimes show up mm-hmm. and he was in four episodes one of which was fucking directed by inshiro honda yes. you know um the other three were directed by jun fukuda and godzilla fought um gidra in an episode, and he also fought Guy Gan in another episode. Now, it's interesting to note, Guy Gan is also in Godzilla vs. Megalon, but um, this was the last appearance of the Shoho Guy Gan, was in this episode of Zone Fighter, and at the end of it, Zo- Zone Fighter, which is the character's name, kills Guy Gan outright. Like, he beats him until Guy Gan just stumbles and falls over, and literally foam comes out of his mouth, and then he explodes, you know, because it's Japan. And, uh, yeah, so, like, Zone Fighter officially kills the Showa Gigan, um, but Gidra gets away or whatever. So you can see with this the, the, the I guess, what, debacle or the, the issue uh, Japanese uh, producers are having with, you know, having uh, to, 
trying to get people to go into the theaters and also deal with the fact that TV is now even more a threat right. to their... Because they no longer have the, the young... The, the, the young directors they had are now old now. Imamura, right. Oshima, you know... They, they can't get away with the same crazy. Hey, look, we got we gave this young guy a lot of money, but now that's happening in America, and American movies are now threatening the Japanese market. It brings out the desperation of all the companies, and as I've mentioned in previous episodes, how exploitation films really like um, are on the rise. And unlike in America, these are studio backed exploitation films. You know. Uh, it, it isn't the, the small independent companies, which they have, but it's the large companies, Surchiko, Toho, Nikatsu, Toei. They're all making movies with gratuitous sex and violence just to get, you know, Joe Sixaki in the theater. Right. And it's kind of, I mean, Italian cinema is my bread and butter, but like, you kind of see the same thing with Italian cinema at this time, you know, like a couple of years down the road, um, George Romero puts out Dawn of the Dead, and then, you know, director Lucio Fulci capitalizes on that because Dawn of the Dead was released in Europe as Zombie, so, you know, hit, Fulci makes a movie called Zombie, but is released in Europe as Zombie 2, and you see that with a lot of uh, Italian cinema where directors just like, oh, that worked, I'm just going to make, like, a blatant ripoff and, you know, just cash in on it and ride the wave as long as you can. Like, you know, a big one in Quentin Tarantino, you know, even kind of made a nod at it with Django, like Django, the spaghetti Western, you know, that did really, really well. And that movie has spawned like hundreds of unofficial <laughs> sequels. Like there's some, like there's a movie I've never seen it or tracked it down, but you know, it's infamous because it's called Django something or other but it's about a fucking shark. So it's like, <laughs> it, it uses the name Django to ride that train, but then also like cashes in on like, you know, the Jaws phenomenon and stuff like that. So I, it, you know, it just was a trend, you know, at this time in cinema worldwide, apparently. Yeah. All, all of these elements are converging against the Godzilla franchise. The fact that it is no longer considered even science fiction really anymore. It's, it's considered just a kid's movie and yeah. it's, you know, you have things like Zone Fighter, to say nothing of, of the real show, which Zone Fighter wasn't that popular. It was Ultraman was still getting all the ratings. So you have that, and again, Ultraman, typical episode, you're getting what you're going to get in a Godzilla movie in Ultraman. So just watch that. Yeah. Stay at home. And you can it's do free. your homework at the same exactly. time. Exactly. Um, so you have that. The only place where they're showing these movies is the Champion Film Festival around either the Christmas holiday or in March... Or in you know the fall or whatever, when the kids have time off due to the year-round Japanese school schedule, they they plan the release of these films around a couple weeks when kids have have some time off. So like, the movies are being heavily edited down. Or uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon was initially released uh, for the 1973 Champion Film Festival. It was also released with uh, Miyazaki, one of Miyazaki's first movies, uh, Go Go Panda. Mm -hmm. or whatever which i think is amazing that like miyazaki was on the rise or his genesis of his <laughs> career was right at like clearly the low point yeah. of, of of the godzilla franchise so like people aren't even like 
watching these movies anymore. Like the only chance an adult has of watching a Godzilla movie at this point is if he's like there with his kids. Yeah. You know, and he's probably like sleeping or whatever, you know, and like the, the six year old kid's like, yeah, it's the best thing I've ever seen, you know, so it's like they're like no one's watching the, uh, the you know, no one's at the driver's seat. Um, freakishly, Godzilla versus Megalon has an equally elaborate history in America. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's impact in America as I said before, it, it was responsible for establishing what people have come to think of as, as you know, the sort of the trash, you know, luchador <laughs> style wrestling <laughs> matches. Uh, they, they're thinking of this movie. Well, that's because <clears throat> really of the efforts of one man, and that's uh, Mel Marin. Um, it was the president of a company called Cinema Shares back in 1976. Now, 1976, our old buddy King Kong, <laughs> he's coming back. And once again, Godzilla and King Kong intertwined. <laughs> and uh, they, okay, so you've got the Jeff Bridges, Jessica Lang remake of Kong getting released in 76. And that media machine is sort of revving up. So Mel Marin purchases the rights for Godzilla vs. Megalon that came out three years ago in Japan. And was, by the way, the first Godzilla film to sell under a million tickets. Um, he purchased it for a modest amount. I'm assuming like $40. <laughs> he proceeds to mount the single largest independent film launch in the history of New York City. He, again, keep in mind this is for Godzilla vs. Megalon. He has parades with cars, with guys, or I think cardboard cutouts of the monsters. He has buttons made up. He has... Uh, comic books of of the story of Godzilla vs. Megalon featuring calling Jet Jaguar uh, Robot Man, which you know, obviously is a huge step down from Jet Jaguar. Jet Jaguar is way more badass. Uh, they went to the fucking Democratic National Convention where they had like pushes for Godzilla as president. They had banners and buttons and like all this shit in connection with Godzilla vs. Megalon. When Jimmy Carter was announced as the Democratic uh, nominee for president, they this Marin guy immediately had girls in bikinis on the floor of the National uh, Democratic Convention uh, saying that Godzilla should be vice president and like throwing out like buttons and stuff. And it was all just get they, they put a giant footprint of Godzilla in front of Madison Square Garden, all for Godzilla versus Megalon. In 1977, fucking NBC had. A televised premiere of Godzilla vs. Megalon with John Belushi dressed up as Godzilla, okay? <laughs> and doing, like, bits and, and stuff, in a, like, in a Godzilla suit during the commercial breaks. For this one! For this movie! Like, and, uh, this um, is oh. the one that was selected. Out of all of them. This was the one where they're like, okay, this is Godzilla, the rest of the world. And it's just like, you look at it, it's like... Why this one, you know? But it's like, I'm kind of glad that it was Godzilla vs. because it's so insane. You gotta admire the balls. Because I mean, that got guy's a Jaguar, crazier you know? distributor than, well, Dino De Laurentiis himself. I and, mean, and they made $20 million. Yeah. When you adjust, adjusted for inflation, like $20 million, which is like crazy. Yeah. You which know? Would have been what? At least four times the budget of the movie itself. Yeah. I mean, the budget was like $7. <laughs> You know. And I mean, I, it really just goes to show, like, you know, in America, 
you know, New York had its, you know, 42nd Street and, you know, the Grindhouse theaters everywhere. And it played for, like, nine months. Oh, yeah. Ten months. And it's just like, you know, this is what people were just going to see. Like, you know, you had the Italian stuff that was in the United States. You know, American filmmakers were making their own, you know, exploitation movies. And it was just like, the average guy you know, would go see this at the theater, you know, at midnight while there's, like, some dude, like, foaming at the mouth because he just OD'd on heroin in the seat next to him. And there's some guy, like, whacking it in the row behind him. Like, So, it's just, it was, I wish I could have experienced this time in American cinema, like. Yeah. When they invent time machines, this is stop number two. Yeah, bring your trench coat. Yeah. Or not. It's fine. Whatever. Whatever. Um... Yeah, it's 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 absolutely mind blowing. It's to say nothing of, you know, we've briefly touched upon the fact that the Jet Jaguar was devised by like a six year old. It was it was a contest that Toho had, and um, you know, the, the original character was Red Raron or something. Red Aaron, Red Aron, Red Arrow, Red yeah, something Red Aron, like I think. Um, but they and they basically took the uh, the design and then completely changed the head. And the designer of the film said he tried to make the head look as ugly as possible, which I think is a basic. But like, yeah. and I'm I'm sure it was named after uh, Mr. Tanaka's car. Yeah, uh, Jaguar. <laughs> um, probably. Yeah. No. The, I mean, I don't know. I I bought this movie from Kmart when I was like, I didn't buy it, but my family. We went to Kmart when I was like five, and I saw this like the VHS of this movie, and I was like, "It's a Godzilla movie," so I must own it. Luckily, it was like two dollars or whatever, and I watched, and I was like, even though I was like five, I was like, "What is this?" And I felt sort of embarrassed. <laughs> I was just like, "All right, well, put it on the pile." <laughs> I fortunately saw Gigan before I saw Megalon, so the continuity. And I could recognize even then the stock footage right. like issue and how like this was like the king of the stock footage uh, use uh, and just to be in awe right. of the audacity. Here, here's the thing: Guy Gan is still at war with itself, either yeah. over whether or not it's a classic Toho science fiction spectacle or whether or not it's it's garbage cinema. Megalon is completely accepted and embraced its fate as this is an exploitation film.
once again, uh, we're going to talk about the plot. <laughs> and, uh, that gets longer every yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, so uh, <laughs> first, of, first of all, we have the Toho logo, which visibly has scratches on it. Yeah. Uh, so I think even the Toho logo was somehow stock footage. Yeah, I mean, in some movies, like Atragon, they don't even show the Toho logo moving. The sun-shaped uh, uh, entity that it is with the glowing aurora around it, sometimes it's just like a solid, especially for trailers, it's just a solid picture. Yeah. It's just like one frame that they duplicated over and over again to stay completely still, which I think would be more work in and of itself than to yeah. just get a dupe of that negative. So after showing a picture of the Toho logo <laughs> taped to a wall, <laughs> they show, they cut the film and put up a map uh, on, a, on the same wall taped to a piece of cardboard. You then get the soothing sounds of a voiceover specialist, Ted Thomas, a frequent collaborator with Run Run Shaw. As he narrates... May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace, Run Run Shaw. Ted Thomas is doing just fine, by the way. And he says, In the year 1971, the second nuclear test was conducted. Now keep in mind, a worldwide tally in by 1971, over, I think, 900 nuclear bombs had been detonated at that point. So we don't know what Ted is talking about. <laughs> uh, but he says, And this is what happened. And I'm pretty sure he says this is what happened, but it just sounds like this is what hap. This uh, is what happy time yeah. is all about. Yeah, because they, they immediately cut to stock footage of the island exploding at the end of Godzilla versus the sea monster. Mm-hmm. Well, they say that the test happens off the Aleutian the, Islands yeah. up by Alaska, and it shows like that island sort of, you know, collapsing and all of that. Um, and then it just cuts to Monster Island, yeah. which apparently is also just fucking exploding for no reason, and just, yeah, Godzilla well, is just, like, freaking out. Yeah, I mean, Godzilla's <laughs> having a bad trip. He says, the effects were also felt on faraway Monster Island. And this is an excuse to just, once again, show shameless stock footage from Destroy All Monsters, of but, the monsters getting yeah. knocked out. But, but, right, with the two new shots establishing the new Godzilla suit, and for no reason at all, Anguirus is in this film actually, for th- t- two seconds. Actually, it does bring up, because in the beginning of the next film, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, Anguirus is on the other side of the world. So this, for for the only, if you... Wait a minute. Yeah, we'll Are you get saying into they're, this? like, setting that up? <laughs> Basically, or they found... Or they did not for next, that far ahead. I, I don't no think way. they were thinking no that way. far ahead, but they the have next three movie, weeks to shoot this they movie. Have, <laughs> they have... They begin Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla with Anguirus in, like, Antarctica. Because I guess falling through Monster Island with Rodan, he ended up there, and I'm sure Rodan ended up in, you know, Tahiti... Probably chilling on the beach with a pineapple <laughs> <laughs> alcoholic beverage in yes. one uh, in one wing. Um, so it's but just God, like, just why? It's like he's doing some sort of like fucking like dance. Yeah. He like shakes his hands up by his like face, which <laughs> is like in shock. Turns ninety degrees like away from the camera, does it again, <laughs> and then turns ninety degrees and does. It's just like what is he doing? Yeah. Not even God knows what Godzilla is doing in this film, but that's okay because he's barely in his own movie. That's the last we see of him for like a full hour, uh, so don't worry about it. 
The rest of the movie is about a uh, sassy uh, robot that can reprogram himself to change his own size. So we cut directly <laughs> to... The, the world's movie. most insane paddle boat. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and ineffective paddle boat. Yeah, ineffective as it is ultimate nightmare fuel. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> definitely designed by John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, uh, with like the weird sort of noses that are kind of like, phallic a, in this kind of is bizarre it like way. A duck? I, I. It's like a duck or a, I don't know. It's what nature's it is. cruelest mistake. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's the, a duck billed <laughs> paddlefish. That's what it is. The, the the little kid from Godzilla versus Hedora, who's now goes by the name of Roxon, is or in the Rokuru mi- in uh, Japan. Right, Rokuru is is uh, on this paddle boat in the middle of the lake, going nowhere. Going nowhere. The boat is making so much fucking commotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like- and he's paddling his ass up. <laughs> And he's going nowhere. Now, this is before there's an earthquake that starts in sort of a suspense sequence that starts, but Rocco is going full speed the whole nowhere. time. And he is not gaining any ground. So maybe we can assume right before the scene started, the paddle boat broke, or maybe he doesn't know how to drive it or something. Uh, his older brother, Goro, is sitting on this desolate, kind of bleak. It looks like the middle of winter, like, beach, with whom we can only assume is his friend, although they never mention, like, what maybe they, they know each other from work. They could be gay lovers. It, there's that, no... That's what I'd like right. to assume, because uh, I, I honestly think that the uh, point of this movie and the overall lesson is that uh, a homosexual couple can be equally irresponsible <laughs> As a heterosexual <laughs> couple, when it comes to taking care of a little kid, yeah, I, I think that's the overall point. Yeah, is that no one knows how to take care of this kid. I mean, they're having what appears to be just a lovely uh, lunch, replete with champagne that they erotically pop, and uh, they pop the cork, and they're just like, you know, kind of luridly pouring into each other's cups and kind of, you know, lost in one another's eyes. And then this earthquake (laughs) breaks out and the kid in his useless, (laughs) horrifying paddle boat starts to get sucked into the middle of the lake. And I guess one of them is an amateur vigilante or something, like Batman, because the guy's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Oh yeah, use the rocket. And they, they have this, this bag with, like, a rocket with, like, rope attached to it, and they shoot it out, and it's just like, why, in the name of Who God, would you have a, would you have that? Why would you ever have that? Like, just, it's like the why would you bring guy. that to a fucking picnic? It's like the crotch like, guy like, what, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Right, like, what kind of picnic are you planning where you have to fire a rocket with, like, a hook and, like, rope attached to it? Uh, we're like 30 seconds into this movie, and things have already lost all semblance it, of... The earthquake itself, like, the special effects in this, like... So they're laying on this, like, hill that looks like it's covered in, like, old pieces of tar. <laughs> and, like, you can tell they're just, like, shaking the camera. And that there's just, like, five PAs with rocks that they're just winging down the side of this hill. Yeah. And because there's no actual earthquake going on, you have the guys kind of, like, laying on their backs. And you can tell that they're, like, shaking their bodies to try to make it look like they're sliding down the hill. (laughs) But it's just, like, them kind of, like, bouncing to, like, slowly go down towards the lake. Yeah. It's it's extreme. Extremely awkward. They're they're like Bill Shatner on on the original Star Trek when the ship gets hit by a photon torpedo and they're just kind of going back and forth. It's real bad. And like when you were watching it, you genuinely feel concerned for the actors because 
like you said, it does look like interns are just inches off camera just throwing down. <laughs> and these aren't prop rocks, no. okay? These are real rocks. So they could have broken an ankle real, real easy here. So, like, that's kind of a stunt. Um, they managed to fire the rocket, which they have for reasons unknown, uh, out to, to the kid. And he catches onto the rope and they pull him in before he gets sucked in. But then the uh, lake gets sucked up. And uh, hard cut to them in what appears to be Chitty Chitty Bang Bang <laughs> going down a abandoned highway, which is a motif that we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, but, like, and to the smooth sounds of, uh, I think it's called Highway Run or something is the piece of music. And it's, you know, jazz flute in full effect. And this is while the, uh, the the news reporter, at least in the English version, is just casually talking about how many deaths have just occurred. Right. Probably, one again, one of the rare times actual, like, uh, a body count has been brought up right. in, in a monster movie. Uh, you know, just casually saying, you know, three million people may or may not have been killed, blah, 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 blah. Coming up next. Uh... Right. And, and, and this leads the two, they're trying to explain to the kid, and then just like... It, it goes into just such sloppy, ham-fisted, uh, not like, rhetoric, but just, like, the dialogue is so obtuse about... It's like crypto-geography. Crypto-geography. Like. They start talking about the last lost continent of Moo? Yes. And, and, and Atlantis? And they're just like, well, it's because of earthquakes like this. It's because... Well, first of all, the guy on the radio surmises that it's because of an atomic test. He's like, scientists say it's because an atomic bomb went off, and that's what caused the earthquake, or whatever. And then the two guys in the car are just like, oh, these atomic bombs are so terrible, you know. Everyone knows that this is what sunk the lost continent of Atlantis and the lost civilization of Mu. You know, just completely unrelated yeah, to anything, you that know? just... It, it, it's, I mean, unless it's like you, because like, you know, Seatopia yeah. is coming if you've seen the movie, yeah. and like that's an underwater civilization. So there's a connection there, but there's zero reason why these characters should be talking about. It's, that. it's like it, a kid that hears a really funny, like anecdote or joke, and keeps trying to steer the conversation you're having with them simply to have. Simply so he can tell this joke. It's like he could be talking about nothing. You know, speaking of rectal hemorrhaging, <laughs> we were talking about algebra too. But I got this great joke. So, uh, like, but, like, to say nothing of the fact that they're poisoning this child's mind with yeah. nonsense about so, the lost continent of Moon. So, he was saying that these nuclear tests are responsible for what made these continents disappear, correct? Yeah. So, and, these continents existed until. 1945, and then right. just disappeared yeah. in, like... Yeah. Well, they said three million years ago, because later on the guy goes, I guess, to a library, and he's like, I... Well, we, get, we have to move on. <laughs> just for a small side note, Mu is the, uh, the, the enemy... Or the antagonist of the film uh, Atragon, which, if we haven't uh, mentioned before, is about a uh, flying submarine with a freeze ray that uh, is Earth's only hope against uh, the evil people of Mu. Uh, Spelled M-U. M-U. Uh, so uh, they're, they're, the, they're basically a rehashing bad guys. The only difference is that this time they're, they're going for a more uh, Caucasian Greek look sort of light kkk influence yeah on the, uh, costume design uh, and, uh, and they're led by ron jeremy's stunt double I, so uh yeah uh wait is that the dude that gets 
I'm getting ahead of myself, but is that the dude that gets thrown from the car? No, no, oh. that that their their leader. Uh, oh, oh, Antonio, Antonio, yeah, with the the hairy chest. His and name the is Antonio. Antonio. You, you can tell he's a member of Cetopia because he's got a bunch of naval tattoos. On yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which they, you know, they could have yeah. easily covered that up. That's just a wardrobe change, you know. Just cover up his forearms, yeah. you know. Just... But they're just like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> They, did, they didn't have time. They were just like, June Fukuda's like, we need to go through 180 setups a day. <laughs> okay? That's, dub- that's, double, that's double the Roger Corman amount of setups. <laughs> yeah. For this film, they had mathematically figured out the amount of footage that needed to be exposed for each take. And so they could have no second takes. Yeah. Uh, mind-bogglingly amazing. So they're driving back from the their beach picnic and poisoning this kid's brain with their conspiracy theories. And they get back to Goro's house, who is an inventor, and they enter the house and get attacked by these two dudes. We don't know why. No. And... Yeah. Um, one is dressed up like Oscar Wilde. The other one, yeah, uh, Rasputin. I, yeah. I, in my <laughs> notes, Rasputin, and then like sexy Bella Lugosi. <laughs> in my notes, I have it written down as shitty Rip Torn. <laughs> I mean, he, it was just it, that's. I saw that as like, oh, it's shitty Rip Torn. And in like now, we just have the rabbit hole of awkwardness that leads to it's, complete insanity. Like, okay. So the non-Goro guy, whose name I don't remember... Yeah, Hiroshi. Hiroshi. He fights with Sexy Bella Lugosi, <laughs> uh, or Turtleneck Bella, and uh, he kind of gets knocked down, and it's not clear what they want. I think they were just ransacking the place, and they got caught in the act or whatever. And I think it, like, there, there's something to do with, as it's later revealed, Jet Jaguar, which right. Goro is inventing, but... Right. But that isn't explained for, like, 40 minutes. And they weren't doing anything... <laughs> They were just they were, the place up. Yeah, they weren't yeah. proactively trying to steal anything. They were just, like, throwing paper <laughs> yeah. everywhere by yeah. the looks of it. Uh, so Hiroshi suffers a brutal chop to the back of the neck from Turtleneck Bela. <laughs> and he kind of, in the most unnatural thing I've ever seen an actor do in a movie... He he's like he he's he's kneeling down like rubbing the back of his head with his left hand and in his right hand which is in a fist he just sort of opens it up and there's this red bead or or button and we don't know if the the guys put it in his hand or he grabbed onto it somehow or what but it's just there it's so strange the way it's filmed and the way it's like Paste. Some fucking David Blaine sleight of hand. She's yeah. just like, oh, yeah. And they, they, you know, they kind of look around the apartment and they see that things have kind of been, I guess you'd call ransacked. The stupid little kid notices this, the, what he refers to as, ah, look, there's a funny powder, <laughs> and uh, which is red, and it's like, oh, and they, um, they, you know, Goro kind of investigates the button, and then. They have this montage where, okay, now when I was a kid looking at this, it seemed to me that they were taking the button and smashing it with with a hammer. Yes. Okay, then grinding that into like a fine powder, then turning that into a liquid and analyzing it with the help of another unnamed scientist in a test tube. And then there's just a scene with a fucking blow. Right, right. And then immediately going into Ironworks, where Goro is 
like fucking with a blowtorch, like sealing stuff and like fashioning Jet Jaguar's head. And I always thought that he, they were using the button as some sort of like substrate to mix in with the metal into Jet Jaguar's head. Yeah. For some, because that's the fucking. Cause that's the, the way it looks. Because that's that's the way. Okay, this is the basic language of films. Like, okay, you have this, then you cut to this scene. Like, and then it cuts to here, A to B to C to D. And the end of it is this pan up of Jet Jaguar, and he's complete now, and he has a head because he, he didn't have a head. <laughs> right. And it's just like, this is where we've come in the leaps of logic in, in the Godzilla series. Now, let's go back to three movies ago with Godzilla's Revenge. Uh, Ishiro finds the, uh, like the test tubes or whatever in his make-believe toy thing. And he's like, ah, this test tube will be great. And he takes it home and he puts it in his make-believe toy and then uses it, because that's kid logic. He's like, this will make it stronger and better. And then he uses it to go to Monster Island. Okay, that's a child's fantasy. Yeah. He's playing. That's nonsense, but it's okay, because he's, you know, seven years old or And whatever. you can follow that. And you can follow that. He's like, okay, he's a kid. He finds this thing. He puts it in. These are adults. They're working on a real machine. This is, Jet Jaguar is real. <laughs> and, like, they use this thing. It's, it is the mind, it's the, it is the thought process of a seven-year-old, <laughs> you know? And that's why when I watched it when I was seven, I was like, yep, yeah, yeah you know, that button will make the robot stronger, you know? It's just, like, and but it amazing. But it turns out that they're actually doing, like, Three different things at once. Yeah. They're analyzing the dirt. I only caught that this last yeah, time. I exactly. Because yeah. I was really paying attention to, like, it, the one has nothing to do with the exactly. other. They, they switch right from, in mid-montage, they jump from analyzing the button to the completion of Jet Jaguar's head. Yeah. So, like, that is very confusing. <laughs> you know? Like, that confused me for 30 years. And, and, and then, <laughs> then, then they say that the, the dirt came from... Easter is only found on Easter Island. Yeah, right. And then they, of course, cut to, to show us what Easter Island is. They cut to a postcard photo <laughs> of Easter Island. Um, and the, I don't even remember if they get back to us on what the button. I, I think they just smashed it out of malice. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they were just like, well, we, we could analyze this, but uh, robot head, more important. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've, it, after, you know, they do this awful montage <laughs> back with Goro. I don't even know if they're in his apartment. Anyways, it's him. I think the kid's there. I don't know if the other guy's there because in between the bad guys running out of the building, there's this car chase with the non-inventor dude in shitty ripped torn and the other guy. Um, <laughs> and it's a car chase and they're driving around and the bad guys drop a, not a smoke screen, a flame screen, <laughs> which when it initially happens, you can tell that it's just image of fire, like superimposed <laughs> over the film. And then when they cut to like the next scene of like the, I, don't, I just want to call him the driver because he drives the entire movie. Yeah. So I'm going to call him the driver. The driver like gets out and then they've just actually lit grass on fire. And he's like, ah. Looks like I can't do anything about this. It's just right. fucking drive <laughs> right, through right. the flames. You're in a goddamn car. <laughs> right. You know, this. the only way this is going to hurt you if you, like, go over the flames slowly, like, a mile an hour, or yeah. push the car through the flames, and then, really, the only damage is going to be your legs will get badly burned. Just drive through the fucking flames. What are you doing? So this is car chase number one of, I think, two. There's a lot of car stuff in this movie. Yeah. 
But this was one thing that kind of stood out to me. There are more cars than women in this movie. Yeah. The, the, yeah, well, there's there, there's more jet jaguars than women in this movie. <laughs> um, uh, there, there isn't a single female in this film photographed, except for the stock footage of, of from, like, the Mysterians. And Godzilla vs. Mothra. Yeah. Um, so that car chase happens. Um, something I'll probably get into later when it, it relates more to another car chase. Like, there's some, I feel, influence exploitation stuff creeping in so anyways that happens and then so like i was saying they're back it with the fucking goro and the kid and jet jaguar and goro's just like i'll call him jet jaguar what the fuck where did that come from <laughs> like where did he pull that name from like it's not discussed did no. he just like throw like the first that, two yeah, words that's together name number one and that's what <laughs> sticks it's just it's, like i mean whenever it works it's cool but just like the fuck like right it seems like he spent months, if not years, developing and building this robot, and he literally just like, oh, and we need a name to Jaguar. <laughs> you know, it's like if I invented a time machine, and I'm just like, eh, we'll call it Lamborghini Pizza. You know, and it took 20 years to make. I'd be like, oh, all right, I guess that's what we're going to call it, you know. And you know, if there's ever like a Chris Nolan remake of this movie, Jet Jaguar will turn into an acronym, like the J-E-T, each in separate <laughs> word. And there will be know. a scene where Michael Caine is like, I think I understand what happened. He's not obeying the specific commands anymore, Master White. He, <laughs> he reprogrammed himself to change his own size. <laughs> All right. Well, unfortunately, that does it for this week. There was so much stuff for this episode that, once again, we have to split it in half. So uh, this week's episode is actually just the first half of our Godzilla vs. Megalon discussion. And uh, you can listen to the second half next week when we put it up. So definitely check back for that. Um, wanted to say thank you to Nathan Bear, as always. Um, and then thank you to Kyle Bragg, uh, a great co-host, and his knowledge of garbage exploitation trash cinema is really unmatched by anyone I have ever met. Um, just wanted to say real quick, one thing we did want to get to was uh, Jet Jaguar's influence and, and heart and soul and mind can still be kind of felt in the pulse of popular culture. Uh, one recent example, of course, would be the program Danger 5, available absolutely free of charge on Hulu, not even Hulu Plus, just regular Hulu. Um, you can watch it from the good people who brought you Italian Spider-Man. And basically, it's a spy show set in the 1940s, except it looks like the Mod Squad or the Prisoner, or it basically looks like it's in the 1960s. And, uh, but it references everything from, you know, the Lost World. I'm talking about, like, the stop animation Lost World from, like, 1910 all the way up through, you know, stuff from the 80s. It is completely insane. And as such, uh, it has uh, a character who is a small robot cat who communicates with the group uh, using noises exclusively from, from this film, Godzilla vs. Megalon. In fact, he just talks. He has the Jet Jaguar voice. He talks as Jet Jaguar. So, pretty darn cool. Definitely check it out. It's it's very brief. It's only in the first episode. It's not like it's the Jet Jaguar show. But anyways, the point is that people in the know know about Jet Jaguar. Again, that's Danger 5 on Hulu. So as to us, um, still on Facebook at the Godzilla Pod War Hour, 
my name is Michael Kelly. I'm on um, Twitter at Godzilla Pod War, and we have a Tumblr account that neither myself nor Nathan, uh, you know, know how to use. Really, we're you know we're trying to tumble a little bit. Um, so, anyways, I wanted to take us out on a few different pieces of music since. We usually don't play this much music in an episode, but, you know, Monabe only did Godzilla vs. Hedorah and then Megalon, and then he was out of there, so um, try to take advantage of the opportunity when we can. So this is going to be three pieces of music. Uh, the first piece is Attack Preparation. The second piece is The Attack Commences. And the third piece is Invincible Megalon. Now, the thing you might notice about these pieces of music is that they're all exactly the same. Uh, instrumentally speaking, uh, you know, the music on the sheet, they're all basically the same. But uh, in the first piece of music is sort of hopeful, and uh, the second piece of music is when the attack actually starts, so it's more robust and action-packed. And then the third piece of music is when Megalon is just destroying everyone. And um, so it's, it's kind of mocking the main theme and, and, and making fun of it and how, how uh, useless the military is. As, as we all know in the Godzilla universe, uh, eh, the self-defense force is usually pretty useless. So pretty cool. Manabe was actually, you know, obviously had a lot of neat musical ideas he was trying to bring um, to, the, uh, to, the, to the table. One of the more uh, decried, uh, you know, scores for the series, but I think he's pretty darn good. Anyways, uh, so that's, again, tech preparation. The attack commences. Invincible Megalon. Richero Monabe. My name is Mike Kelly. This is the Godzilla Pod War Hour. Good night. Good fight. God bless America. And, um... Megalon, rise up! Destroy the enemies! Destroy the Earth! Go on, Megalon! Megalon! <laughs>